0: welcome to trust the bachelor process a podcast where bachelor super fans and sisters alex and sarah discuss all things bachelor nation typically with a glass of rosé in hand our two true passions so sit back with us sip rosé with us and enjoy the journey with us Trust the Bachelor process, listeners. Uh, if you tuned in last week, you got a teaser to today's episode. We could not be more excited for our guest today. She's the author of our new favorite book and USA Today national bestseller, One to Watch. She was also the lead digital writer for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign, and maybe most importantly, she is a huge fan of The Bachelor. Please welcome Kate Stamen-London. <laughs>
1: you got those in exactly the right order. You did great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I the order like five minutes ago. So I'm. Glad. <laughs> <laughs> no bachelor fan first and foremost. That's right.
2: Of course, of course. They she is number one on the podium, being a bachelor fan. Um, Kate, how are you feeling? Because today is the day that you were announced to be on the USA Today Bestsellers list.
1: It's nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you get this, but I, you know, I get sort of young writers asking me for advice all the time, and my advice is always, you know, tell the story you want to tell, tell the thing that like makes you so happy. Um, and that was certainly what I wanted to do with this book. And I was shocked that anyone wanted to publish, you know, essentially like reimagining The Bachelorette with a plus size lead. Let alone that so many people would be excited to read it to the extent that it would be a bestseller. Like. Wow, I'm so happy that you guys also like the stuff I like. That's really nice.
2: <laughs> it is truly. Really, we, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, but I words cannot describe how much I love this book. I think anyone can relate to it. I think it is such a beautiful story. Um, just to like give, I guess, our listeners a brief blog line about what it is. Uh, you touched upon it briefly, but uh, B Schumacher is a devastatingly stylish plus-size fashion blogger who has amazing friends, a devoted family, and legions of Insta followers. And after a drunken tweet storm about the lack of diversity of her favorite reality dating show goes viral, B is cast as the romantic lead of the powerhouse franchise. Um, so if that, doesn't, <laughs> if that doesn't tell you guys enough, like what is? It's such a brilliant idea. I have to ask, what about the um, medium of The Bachelor made you want to tell B's story?
1: Yeah. So actually, so it was interesting. So in 2015 and 2016, as you mentioned, um, I worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And before that, I had lived in Los Angeles and had been working, you know, as a screenwriter and working on a novel um, that and ended up ultimately not going forward and sort of took the job for Hillary thinking that when I was done, I would write about it. And I would, had planned to write a sort of Bridget Jones on the campaign trail, kind of a rom-com. And then uh, 2016 happened and it didn't great, I would say. Um, and so I came home and, and my book agent was like, we're all so excited for the campaign novel. And I was like, great, I'm going to write it. And then I sat down and I would, you know, sit at my computer for 10 hours and write three pages and send them to my agent. And she'd be like, well, it seems like you wrote three pages. I'm like, That's true. That is what I did. Um, and it became clear really quickly that I just was in no to write that book. So I was going back and forth with her on a lot of different ideas and so that was early 2017. um, And that was Nick Viall season of The Bachelor, which I was watching religiously having been a Nick Viall fan for at that point two seasons already. Caitlin Bristow, top three bachelorette, no doubt. Um, So I, I was watching and it was the night of his finale. But I remembered I'd had this idea like years and years ago of like, what if there was a plus size bachelorette? And when I was watching the finale, the idea like came back like a bolt of thunder. And I had one of those writing nights where I just wrote up a synopsis till like two in the morning, sent it to my agent. I was like, what is this? And she was like, I love it. Can you write it? And I was like, that's a fair question. <laughs> but I, so that weekend I sat down to write and I wrote the entire first chapter. Um, just, it just came right out of me. And it was just like, you know, like the reason we all, you know, we're serious people. There are serious things going on in the world. You want sort of a fun fantasy world to escape to. It's what we love about The Bachelor. And it's what, you know, initially really drew me to this story, which turns out to have like some more serious issues and some more emotional underpinnings in it. But first and foremost, I just really wanted to write a story that felt joyful and that provided some of that escapism that I was looking for and I think a lot of us were looking for in early 2017 and are again looking for now.
2: Yeah, luckily we don't have a shortage of stuff that's horrible happening in the world that we we don't all need the escapism and i promise you it's just this oasis of joy i i sarah and i finished it i you said you you used to what did you say earlier
0: i started it at 9 p.m thinking that i would just like read a chapter or two like exactly that oh this seems like a fun like escapism book i was i was hooked in the first two pages and i stayed up till 2 a.m and i finished the whole thing that night it, it, it just is, and I can't remember if we were talking about this before recording or not. So apologies if it's already been said before. But it, there were so many elements that were just so relatable to generally the human experience, and it, it, it's funny and it's heartbreaking and it's also so heartwarming. And it just felt like home reading it and. I just, oh, I I just, if you haven't already, I can't wait for everyone to read it. It's so deserving of all the praise that it's gotten.
1: Sorry, I'm like just fangirling. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm going to fire my therapist and just come on this
2: podcast. will <laughs> <laughs> be better. We're here for you. Uh, I
0: appreciate yeah. you. Speaking of fangirl, I want to talk about something just a little bit different from the book really quickly because something I recently learned about you I could not uh, go on without asking you is that you are. Are Taylor Swift fan and you like oh my god Ranger her songs I uh, Alex and I both huge Taylor fans um my husband and I he's also a huge uh Taylor fan we had basically a Taylor Swift themed wedding last summer <laughs>
1: well, I want to know everything about that
0: <laughs> and constantly like obsessing re like ranking re-ranking our top five um so I'd love to hear about like have you always
1: been a fan of Taylor's has it been more recent yeah um I've I guess it was speak now era was when I was in grad school was when I first started uh, getting into Taylor and I had a girlfriend at the time who embarrassingly our song was mine off of speak now <laughs> I definitely like walked down the aisle <laughs> <laughs> so' uh, Red came out. Red was the first album that when it came out I was like obsessed from day one and my um, my cousin who's like a sister to me who were very close she has two um, daughters and her older daughter turned 13 that year and so I took her to the Red tour for her bat mitzvah and that was a really and it turned out that that was the night that Tegan and Sarah were her surprise guests in LA and I started like losing my shit and my niece was like What's happening now? And I was like, "You'll understand when you're older." This is very emotional for me. Um, and so, like, after that, and then obviously, and 1989 came out when I was living in Paris briefly. So I like have these memories of like walking around Paris and listening to 1989. And then, so I've been to many concerts. I was supposed to be at Loverfest. And- oh, I can- I honestly can't even talk yeah, about it. <laughs> I can't even talk about it. Like, literally, I'm sitting a few feet from my closet, where literally last year I bought a pink fur coat to match the one she wore in the You Need to Calm Down video because I was going to wear it to love her fast. And now I'm like, well, I just have a giant hot pink fur coat, faux, obviously, um, hanging (laughs) in my closet, just ready for whenever I need it here in chilly, chilly Los Angeles. Um, So (laughs) yeah, big, huge, huge Taylor Swift fan.
2: I mean, they didn't refund our tickets. So there's a good chance that when, if it comes back, will be the first in line to be, to be there, and that, that pink fur coat will get all the action. All the joy. Oh, um, wait! No! They're-, <laughs> <laughs> they're holding up identical lover cell phone cases in the Zoom guys, uh, and realizing that they are so many, I guess. <laughs> I love my,
0: you so much <laughs> okay so i was just like i could not let her hang up without asking her
1: oh so wait so what what are, so if everyone had to say one or two of their top five what would they be
2: oh gosh we have this conversation almost every time we're all together for dinner
1: um yeah
2: asking albums or songs? no songs songs
0: albums i believe are harder to rank
1: than her i agree
2: yes okay it's it's difficult okay i'm pretty basic uh all too well number one
0: um
1: yeah.
2: i like i also i like weird ones like she does i <laughs> really love so it goes and that's like the. i one love
1: book. so the bridge of so it goes <laughs> oh, my I to curse Thank on this podcast it fucks so hard it's so when one she one comes two back two. in the one two three i love so it goes. me so too you
2: too. turn I'm up not not in your bad. car
1: Sorry, sorry. What were you saying? No, well, I was just saying it's the one. It's the only one she didn't play on her Reputation tour. It's I like no, it we well, played it sometimes. But I, th- I saw the rep tour twice, and I got Dancing with Our Hands Tied for the acoustic. Damn, that, I and so it goes it both it times. And I think Dancing with Our Hands Tied acoustic is so so beautiful. I like it better than the studio version. So I was glad I got that both times. I agree. We're, did you see it up in the Bay Area? That's- I saw it once in L.A. and once in New Orleans. Oh, um, cool. And I We went for um, our co- – we all have birthdays sort of near each other, and for our collective birthday trip, we went to New Orleans to see the rep tour there. That's incredible. Okay,
2: before we start talking about B, everyone say their top two really quick.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll go um, – definitely love story always. Um, to come up with my second top two is really, really hard. Probably – probably blank space, probably, but I, I – I'm uncomfortable being recorded saying that (laughs) because it's changing. It's okay to
1: love Blank Space. It's okay.
0: (laughs) Well, just because like this, the number two is changing. Like I know Love Story is in my top,
2: but
1: anyway, Kate. (laughs) Um, Love Story is in my top five for sure. And I also really exceptionally love the 1989 tour version of Love Story. Mm -hmm. Um, But my top two would probably be Treacherous and either Sparks Fly or Cruel Summer. Cruel Summer. Number first song on the One to Watch playlist which you can find on Random House's Spotify is Cruel Summer. What
0: top 3 songs on that s- playlist by the way are the Jet they're like my top 3 songs of all time. It's Cruel Summer, Soulmate by Lizzo, and um The Carly ray Jetson. Too Much.
2: <laughs> totally. <laughs> everybody needs to follow the One to Watch playlist on Spotify. Um To use your to use your words, Kate. It fucks so hard. It is the greatest. I hope Matthew Bomber could sing. Good to know.
1: (gasps) Wait, have you not seen Magic Mike XXL, the world's most important film? (laughs) I haven't. It's so and don't it's not like Magic Mike one was like Steven Soderbergh being like what if we did a meditation on male sexuality and drug use no one's interested in that what you want is Magic Mike XXL which is a feel-good road trip about art and feminism and respecting women it's incredible it's about like this there it's like a road trip of male strippers going to a stripper convention and the state there's like nobody wins it it's just like are they gonna have a nice time and feel good about their art those are the stakes of the film and like Donald Glover shows up and does original music. Twitch is there dancing. Like, it is, Matt Bomer is singing. The guest stars who show up in this film, like, Jada Pinkett Smith is there. Like, it is unreal, the people who show up in this movie. It is so I did good.
2: see a clip of um, Michael Strahan, uh, like, yes. completely giving a lap dance.
1: <laughs> completely. It's such a good movie. You'll love it. It's like the movie version of One to Watch. It just makes you happy.
2: Oh, my God. Okay. okay
0: for this quarantine. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Um, Okay, I want
2: to go back to talk about One to Watch because I could truly talk about Taylor and men dancing half naked all day. Um, But, um, okay, so one of, so what I found so relatable about B is that she does this thing where she thinks that she needs to be a certain person in order to get guys to like her. And so much of her journey is about realizing that she has her own agency to pick somebody that's right for her like she is special and worthy enough to find somebody that she can find is a, the right match for her rather than her trying to subscribe to what somebody else's expectation is can you talk a little bit
1: about what motivated that sure um i think you know dating in my 20s um <laughs> and feeling like you know so much of i think it's so ingrained in us as women even, you know, I've identified as a feminist for as long as I can tell you, I think I, I think of myself as this really strong, independent woman. But it, when it comes to my romantic life, when I, and I don't have this problem when I date women, by the way, but when I date men, this notion that their approval of me is so important to me and that what matters is what they think of me and whether they're attracted to me. And and that that matters at the expense of what I think and whether I'm attracted to them and what I think of them. And when I think back on all the sort of agonizing time that I spent and lost worrying about men who ultimately were so deeply not worth, (laughs) weren't so deeply not worth that energy. And so in the book, B is 30. And for me, it was really important to make her that exact age because she's really reflecting on sort of the past decade of her romantic life and looking forward to what she wants to her future. And uh, you nailed it, that the exact sort of arc of her journey is realizing, oh, I have my own agency here in terms of what I want. And that if a man doesn't want the same things I want and doesn't want me and value me for who I am, that's actually not a knock against me. It's a knock against him, right? But it's so, it doesn't feel like that for like, a lot of your life and you kind of the only way to get there is to learn it and so it was really cathartic for me to be able to sort of look back on my own choices and my own sort of unrequited crushes and all the sad heartbreaking experiences I drew on for the book and realize like oh I've actually come a long way uh since those moments
0: yeah uh- that unrequited love is that it it just hit it hit so so deep like that's what You know again we don't want to give too much away but just like early on in this book i am crying very early on it's rare i'm crying at the beginning of a book because i you can just feel what B is going through so deeply um love to talk about another very complex character uh the producer of the show yeah uh wondering what it was like to write her she's she yeah it's a little touch and go ultimately feels like a redemption for her but was she a
1: hard character to write she was bar on the hardest character wow. in the book to write she had she started with a different name she had three totally different personality iterations and i think what's hard about writing a major character who's a reality tv producer is we've seen a lot of versions of it and i really didn't want to write something that felt cliche and this idea of sort of the manipulative, slimy producer, like that wasn't actually interesting to me. And a lot of what I wanted to talk about in this book, which, you know, it's obviously a book that's a lot about representation and inclusion and diversity in the media. And so there are really two inciting incidents of the book. And one is that B goes on this rant about the lack of body diversity on this show that she loves, and it goes viral, and that's what leads to her being cast on the show. But the other thing that happens is that the longtime sort of old school sexist white male producer of the show gets fired and this young woman gets promoted to run the show. Because I think that a big thing in order to see change in front of the camera, we need to see change behind the camera in terms of who's actually running not just The Bachelor, but every show on television, right? Um, So the character of Lauren, who's the woman who becomes this executive producer, she sees herself as feminist and she sees herself as doing this feminist thing by casting a plus size woman and having a more diverse range of men compete for her, but she's also a woman who's lived in Hollywood for 10 years and who has existed as a thin beautiful woman and a powerful woman in Hollywood for 10 years which really can warp your sense of sensibility um, in the world. So I knew that she was going to be really sort of messed up in the way she viewed things because of her experience in Hollywood but also I wanted her to be really well-intentioned and, and the idea of those two things fighting her intentions versus sort of her really messy Hollywoodified worldview and of like competing for ratings and weird views of what creates those ratings and why it's important. Um, that to me was what ultimately made her such an interesting character.
2: Yeah, and the fact that she ultimately ends up, like, it is her job to produce an entertaining television show, and you can't necessarily be a 100% moral person if it's your job to manipulate situations to create dramatic moments that will give your ratings a super high spike, you know? Um, Because I found myself wanting to root for her, and also, like, knowing in my heart, like, that it's a bachelor, what the job of a bachelor producer is and like sort of being on edge. I felt like every scene with her, I was like, what is going to happen? Like, is she actually this really nice girl or is she manipulating the situation? It was just, it was so exciting to read.
1: Yeah. And like, what's interesting about her is that structurally, she's the antagonist of the novel because she's, but she's not a villain and she's not opposed to be, but she's the one who's creating obstacles that B has to overcome. So she, just to me, I just, I can't get enough of her. Um, And when people are like, would you ever write a sequel? Would you ever write a spinoff? I think the answer is probably not. But I think if I ever did, she's the character who I like. I still want to know more about. She's the person I would still want to spend more time with.
2: Do you think, do you think the fact that she was, you know, this thin woman in Hollywood is what motivated her to cast a group of classic studs because b shows up she's like give me a diverse cast and she shows up and everyone's kind of like the cast of jojo's season
1: <laughs> i mean literally i just re-watched the first episode of um ashley h's season and there's not a single there were two ryan's two chris's two ben's not a single non-white man out of the entire 25 or however many there were. I was like, this was 2012, Obama was president. Really? This is where we were? Like, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, you're you're in Hollywood, I'm in Hollywood. And like, for me, like, I've you know, I've been going on these general meetings for nine, 10 years now. And it's like, it's not even that fatness is seen as ugly or bad. It's that it just doesn't even exist. It's just not even on any, when you're, you know, it's not even a thought on anyone's mind of something we need to be talking about in terms of we are creating culture that doesn't represent the vast vast majority of viewers right and it's just like in LA thinness is so ubiquitous so having B being someone who lives in LA and who feels those like eyes on her when she goes out um that was also that kind of thing of like Lauren's in Venice and B's in Echo Park, B's fat, Lauren's Thin, Lauren's like in mainstream entertainment, B is, has created her own website and her own Instagram and done things on her own terms. Like, it was really about looking at these two sides of what LA culture sort of is for white women.
2: Yeah, that's
1: so true. Who do you think was your favorite character to write? Linus. Who I can't tell you who he is because spoilers but Linus is my favorite character. Oh my god I love Linus. Yeah, I'm actually I'm drinking we're all drinking wine right now on the zoom and the wine that I'm drinking right now is from a little vineyard called Soul Miner that I'm a member of um, in Los Olivos and they're Rosé the-, the son of the two um winemakers is named Linus and they're so Linus Rosé is their rosé so that's what I'm, I'm bringing Linus Rosé Was that inspiring? <laughs> <laughs> no it's just total coincidence. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh Linus
2: um, is incredibly special and I don't want to say anything more other than you have to read the book because um wow I cry. I'll say that
1: like there are a couple of characters in the book Linus is one of them um And there are a couple of others whose names I again won't say because spoilers who are just like, they are not mixed in their motivations. They are not weighted down by baggage. They are just purely joyful, well-meaning characters. And like in a book where there are a lot of the men on the show are not there for the right reasons. And there's a lot of really complex emotions attached to a lot of these relationships. And even the ones who are there for the right reasons, they're bringing their own fraught emotional baggage. And it's really difficult. Like the joy of just writing characters who are just, like, they're just, they're just there. They're happy. They're making other people happy. It was always, like, I'm, like, anytime I got to a scene with them, I'd just be, like, yeah. <laughs> and
0: I think you could, you could feel it. Like, it was so apparent. Again, no spoilers or anything, but, like, who, if we're talking like right reasons, wrong reasons, and you know understanding B's kind of confusion and all of this, and and it's hard for her to really see it all. I I think it was, you you could really you could feel it in the way in the way that they were
1: written. Like, je- how who was genuine? Yeah. Yeah, one of the most fun parts of the process for me was in the beginning creating all the men who were going to be on the show i literally sat on my living room floor with index cards and i wrote down all the tropes from the bachelor and it was just like the young guy the snooty academic the sexy foreigner like and i and i was just like okay so we all know the tropes that we see like on every single season so how can i then take them and them on their head or make it a more subversive or interesting version of this that we haven't actually the virgin right like how can i create a version of this that we haven't actually seen before and that doesn't feel sort of shoehorned or exploitative the way that it can feel on the bachelor when it's like you're this version of a human being um and and that was so much fun and then like to have created them and there are some characters like there's one man in the book who was originally intended to be the villain of the novel. Um, and then the more I wrote him, I loved him. And he was like so fun and so interesting and so sexy. And I was like, he can't just be the villain. It's more complicated back. And then, there, and, and then there was one man who was like intended to be the romantic hero. And the more I wrote him, the more I was like, this guy's not always great. And he really has the capacity to break B's heart. And so that was really the joy for me. was like getting to know them the more and more I wrote them. It's like you were going through the journey yourself. Oh, I mean, I spent three years on this thing, right? It it
0: had phases, for sure. Also, what a dream to just create your
1: own personal Bachelor, like your own cast for your own season of The Bachelor. (laughs) And just live there. Just live there for years (laughs) at a time. That's how I spent the Trump administration.
2: (laughs) We had to do something. We all had our coping mechanisms. You happened to. (laughs) Uh, what kind of like feedback have you been getting from women um, since you know it's it's only been out a couple of days but uh, what has the feedback been from your readers so far
1: well I'm I'm really lucky we've gotten tons and tons and tons of feedback um, and reviews and Instagram posts and it's been incredible I mean it's been insane it's been like beyond my wildest dreams that all these women just reaching out and saying that they feel seen, that they've never related to a protagonist this much. I heard from one woman who was like, I'm plus size and I won't tell you, she described the demographics of her partner, which is similar to the partner that, that, you know, one of the more important relationships for B. And she was like, I've never seen a relationship like mine described in anything ever before. Um, I heard from a woman who's a plus size woman who lives in France Um, an American woman, and she was like, the specifics of the things that I experience as a plus-size American woman living in France, and you wrote them. Um, It's been just crazy for me to hear from all these people that they feel like they saw their lives uh, in the book, which is just like, you know, as a writer, what more can... Can you ask for than that to know that your book resonated with people and made those, especially since, you know, the entire theme of the book is being seen, right? It's called One to Watch. Um, <laughs> it's about, it's about seeing and being seen and this idea that you deserve to be seen and loved for exactly who you are and not for anything else. And so to hear from readers that that's how the book makes them feel, I mean, what could be better than that?
2: Oh, truly <laughs> nothing. I, uh, yeah, it is, So interesting, I think, like, especially just as the world just sort of shifts into this place of Well, some of the world like into this place of deeper empathy and you know, we start embracing um, All sorts of different stories like, for instance, Hamilton, when it came out there, Philippa Sue posted this Instagram of this like little Asian girl watching her sing helpless And she looked at it and she said, this is me. (laughs) And the fact that we are living in a time where like young women, um, people of different sexualities, like people who are gender fluid have something to turn to. And and so they can say, oh, this is me. (laughs) It's just so important. And I feel like this book, um, it really, there are so many people like your men included who you wrote, your your men with such compassion, um, that I feel like every, you could, so many people would even see themselves in the male characters that you wrote. Um, there's such a, a breath of diversity in them too. Um, Again, we are like kind of obsessed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, again, you know, in Hollywood, every time a movie like Black Panther or Crazy Rich Asians goes totally crazy at the box office, everyone's like, how did this happen? And it's like, oh, well, you know, it turns out that people actually enjoy seeing themselves represented in the media that they consume. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, for me, like there's a character in the book who's asexual and whose you know, journey of accepting themselves is, uh, you know, sort of written about in the book. And I saw a tweet the other day from a person who was like, oh my God, I'm reading this and there's an ace character and I'm ace and I was like, no, stop it. I'm crying at Twitter (laughs) and you know, and it's like, and that was part of the joy of this book is that, you know, there are so many characters, which at times was a real challenge to kind of balance and make sure everyone is being serviced correctly correctly and that you're kind of keeping track of all the relationships. But for me, it's like, well, you have all these people to play with. There are so many different stories you can tell and different, like, why would I make them all the same as each other? That's boring. I don't need two Ryans and two Chris's and two Ben's, although I do have some. You have a lot of Ben's. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a real, I tried to put as many Easter eggs in there as I could for like the Bachelor fandom, for like the things that, are like, if you do watch, I don't think you have to watch the show in any way, shape, or form to enjoy the book, but if you do, hopefully you get to see a lot of the little things I left for you. Yeah,
0: 100%. (laughs) A lot of the bends is definitely part of it. Um, Okay, a little bit, a little bit lighter note too. uh, So the fashion, big deal in this book. Um, These fashion, well, it's like, B really finds herself early on, like at a younger age, before all of this is happening on um, her show, finds herself through fashion. Would, do you say you reflected your personal style into the book or did you write something kind of different?
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, my per- Well, I mean, I'm wearing a black dress right now. Most of what I wear is just black. I grew up in and around New York City and so that's always going to be very influential on how I dress. So I think B's style is a little more colorful and bright and outlandish than mine. Um but I definitely I've loved fashion since I was a kid. Um, I still have this like very vivid memory after the 1997 Oscars of reading People magazine and on the cover was Nicole Kidman wearing this chartreuse galliano with like this fabulous embroidery and fur trim and it was like this over the top but still really sophisticated dress and I was totally obsessed with it and it's really only recently that we've gotten to see fashion like that on even non-white bodies let alone non-thin bodies and so for for me, you know, when I think about fashion fantasies like the makeover scenes in like Pretty Woman or Devil Wears Prada, like really fat women only get scenes like that after they lose weight. And I was a little bit like, fuck that. Like, I really set out to create that fashion fantasy for an explicitly plus size woman. And so, one of the most fun parts of writing the book for me was I literally went through every single scene and I dressed B in real garments that exist made by real designers who design every single designer that I mentioned in the book designs at least up to a size 20 and often higher. So that was really important to me to kind of celebrate those designers. And now I'm actually like hearing from some of the designers and their teams (laughs) that they're like so excited about the book. And I'm like, is this real life? What's happening? <laughs> but they like, it's so like the designers who do, cause like, listen, two thirds of American women wear size 14 and above, right? So there are the designers who are like, I'd like to make clothes for all women. And there are designers that are like, no, I'm so bigoted in my opinion of what beautiful means that I am willing to cut out two thirds of my own market share in order to, I don't even know what, what's the point of it. Um, and I think the designers who are inclusive in their, in their work it's really important to them and it's really meaningful to them. So they're like so excited to see their work being celebrated in the book. And I'm like, I'm glad you're excited. I'm also very excited.
2: (laughs) That jumpsuit that we wore at the, uh, at the
1: hotel, the Sky Hotel. I can't remember the name of the hotel (laughs) where she wears that cool jumpsuit. Oh yeah. <laughs> Actually my my um two of my close friends so it's it new Newarks is the name of the company, N O O W O R K S. Um, and they make amazing size inclusive jumpsuits. They're small women owned business in Los Angeles and they, you know, help they have local artists making their prints, they're amazing. And two of my close friends in LA who um, have read Read the book in its very early drafts, and it's been amazing. They got me a New York for my pub gift, and that's what I wore on pub day. And of course, it was roses was the print.
2: Oh! So what
1: else could it be for the bachelor?
2: Wow! <laughs> oh, so that nice. is <laughs> <laughs> that's um cool. okay, We're uh, we're rounding up on a half hour, but we just had a couple of fun questions. Uh, yeah, what's do it. Um, what was your favorite season of The Bachelor,
1: or Bachelorette, or both? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I think so. Favorite Bachelorette person of all time, I gotta go Rachel Lindsay. She's the goat. But favorite season, I think I gotta go Caitlyn Bristow um, because, I mean, bringing on Nick, I forgot what like little jerks the men all were when she brought Nick on mid season. They were such whiny little assholes about that whole situation. And I feel like I always say to people, like anyone who thinks that women are more emotional than men need only watch one season of The Bachelorette to know that that is not the case and men are actually much more emotional than women. And like those men, like, and she had Jared, she had Ben Higgins, like she had so many good men that season and then the confirmed mid-season sex that threw everyone into a total tizzy and how she just totally owned that. Like, that season to me was like apex of what the show could be.
2: It's why we talk about sex on The Bachelor now. Before it was just sort of this like, you know, they would close the door during fantasy
1: suites and we could all kind of use our imaginations to think about what happened and now- Well, except for in season one when they showed us the picture of Amanda with the chocolate sauce on her nose when they ordered the sex in the sheets package to their hotel room that was like chocolate sauce and a rubber sheet. And Alex talked about it like a jerk. <laughs> even <Season> one, man.
2: <laughs> no, that's like early odds. Like my goodness. it's my freshman like... year in college. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Alex, you are a jerk. He was um... <laughs> a jerk. He really is. You also had the JJ uh, Cl- Cliff Was it Cliff, like, love, maybe love affair that season? On Caitlin Bristow's season, JJ
0: and something like Clint or something like that, they had, like, a weird friendship, and JJ, like, threw him under the bus, and he got sent home, and then JJ was, like, slapping himself because he was, like, so upset with himself for throwing his best Was JJ
1: the, um, the pants Was that him? No. Was that a different JJ? That was, that was um, um <laughs>
0: Pantsapreneur
1: is a good one. <laughs> Literally all I remember about him was <laughs> Pantsapreneur. I think I tweeted hashtag Pantsapreneur, nothing else in the tweet, and he liked it. And I was like, we're, <laughs> we're entering a weird time in popular culture.
2: <laughs> Did we dive deep into what Pantsapreneurship was? <laughs> he had like some startup about pants. Yeah, I think he just like
0: (laughs) wore and designed crazy pants. Like I think that was, he just like liked printed
1: pants. (laughs) And he went, I remember this, he went to Williams College and I went to Amherst College and if you want to know about obscure things that matter to white people, Amherst and Williams have like an incredible rivalry and so I saw that he went to Williams and he had this ridiculous thing about himself being a pants entrepreneur and I was just like, well that tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Classic Williams over here. This is what they're teaching <laughs> <laughs> at subpar liberal arts institution.
2: I love that. That really sets it up. That is. That's how you win. That's how you win a college rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would be okay? So, did you do you have a dream bachelor date? Were any of those reflected in your book?
1: Um, I really, for me, it's the um actually it's the only scene that stayed mostly the same from the very first uh the proposal that i wrote to sell the book in 2017 to the published novel is a scene where B and one man go on a date to an empty museum and they have the museum all to themselves um and in on the show, it's LACMA, because they're in LA, but for me, it would be The Met, because From the Mixed-Up Files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler is one of my favorite books when I was a kid, and I love The Met, it's, like, my favorite place, so that would be having The Met all to myself, and being able to wander around on a date, that would be, like, a plus dream date for me.
2: That is a uh, heart-wrenching theme uh, in the book. (laughs)
1: So. <laughs> I love that scene. And that the stuff in that scene, that exhibit uh, that I write about in that scene that was there at LACMA when I went and did my little research trip in the spring of oh, 2017, yeah. and I was like, oh, this would be a sexy place for there to be something go down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Get out there. Get some uh, some motivation for some hot bachelor days. Um, <laughs> I think we just have one more. Uh, do you have like a a favorite reality TV show outside of The Bachelor? Top Chef.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you just watch the latest All-Star? Oh, definitely. <laughs> so good. I'm, I feel like we can spoil that. I mean, I'm still happy for Melissa, but then part of me was also like, I just felt like it was Brian Voltaggio's time.
1: (laughs) I mean, Brian Voltaggio, far be it for me to ever root for, like, a straight white man. But I was like, oh, man, this guy. It's hard not to like him. He's very likable. But I was really happy for Melissa. I lit for the first, like because I quarantined before I went to spend a couple of weeks with my family recently. I was alone in my apartment for like 110 days, something like that. And like, for the first couple months, I was really literally only watching Top Chef. That was all I was doing. It was like, I would work when I needed to work. And otherwise, I was just watching old seasons of Top Chef. And there's something about the show. And like, passionate they all are and how good they are at what they do and how much they care about it and like the fact that the thing that they care about is bringing people together to eat food together like and and the fact that I was like so so sick of cooking and I just never wanted to do it again and so it was like this fantasy of just like being with people in a restaurant eating delicious food that I didn't have to cook um it was just
2: be the top chef restaurants
1: oh I feel like who, didn't, didn't Elan have one in LA? Does he still have that restaurant downtown? I went to that restaurant like years ago. Yes,
0: yes. Um, I, I forget what it's called, but he does have it. Cause I've also, I've been rewatching Top Chef in quarantine as well. Uh, it's a good rewatch. It's really, it's really, really good. Also, um, Brooke, Brooke owns Playa Provisions, which I didn't. Which I haven't been to, but I love Brooke. I love, uh, and I love that restaurant, and I didn't realize it, because I'm, like, watching old seasons, and I'm, like, oh, when I, I
1: don't follow her on Instagram. I was, like, oh, my God. <laughs> when I've been to Inc., Michael Votaggio's restaurant. Yeah, I've Sack, never- the sandwich shop.
0: Um, Padma's new show, Taste the Nation, on Hulu. Oh, good. Right, I, I learned so much.
1: I mean, it is, it is really amazing. It's the really. Indian amazing. food episode in Queens, I really, I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean i cry at everything that's not a high bar but, but yeah i cry at, I mean i cry at the bachelor yeah of course.
2: uh where can everyone find you
1: uh you can find me um on twitter i'm at underscore ksl or on instagram i'm at underscore underscore ksl and fun fact about that one when i like signed up for my Insta, I was like, underscore KSL's already taken. That's weird. And then like three years later, I was like, I wonder who that bitch is. And so I went to look at underscore KSL and it was a picture of my stepmom. And I was like, oh, I guess it was me. And I forgot <laughs> that I had made that Instagram. <laughs> so you can go to add underscore KSL on Instagram if you'd like to see one picture of my stepmom from like 10 years ago, but uh, two underscores is, is the real one. That's okay. <laughs>
2: i think i know which one i'm gonna
1: follow yeah that's exactly right maybe she maybe she'll gram again we'll never know
2: (laughs) uh well maybe after listening to this she will she'll be like i gotta my followers want me
1: (laughs) oh a sentient instagram that feels like that's next in 2020 right like instagram accounts start becoming sentient and just doing their own thing Yeah. Uh, yeah no at this point it, that's kind
2: of what it feels like. I don't know yeah. if any of us are just like mindful humans anymore. It's just the internet just takes over our brains. Uh, Kate, you're the best. Thank you so much for you're chatting with us today. We really appreciate you. And everybody catch one to watch. on shelves near you. And if you don't feel comfortable going to Target, uh, it's available on Amazon. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll we'll chat with you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Much for listening, and if you like what you heard, please write and subscribe. And of course, the journey doesn't end here. Follow us on social media at Sarah Elizabeth Franklin and at Alex Ryan Frank. We'll see you later. Hey, it's Mia. Hey, it's Ali, and we host the Rom-Com Review Podcast. P.S. I love rom-com. Each week, we'll have incredible guests come and discuss a new rom-com grand gestures, meet cutes, and of course that elusive chemistry. Mia, what are you doing holding that giant boom box over your head? I'm hoping to win over listeners with this grand gesture. Take us back! Find a new episode every week. And subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Campfire Media. Wow, you're uh, still holding that boom box. Yeah, I've got great upper
0: body strength. Thanks, CrossFit. P.A. I love
1: rom-coms! I love rom-coms! Campfire.